Good morning. Crisp, is it not? Clear? Yeah, it all looks really good. Super good. Well, I welcome those of you in the room and those of you tuned in online. Uh, We are back to our study of the Book of Romans. We took a little break. We finished with chapter 6 several weeks ago, and now we're picking up with chapter 7. And and believe it or not, um, this chapter is one of the most encouraging chapters in all of the 66 books of the Bible. And I hope you see that. It's, 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 it's hidden a little bit. It, it, it doesn't jump out at you. But hopefully if I do my job, you will see that. And I want to set up uh, chapter number seven. As a matter of fact, let's do that together. So if you'll open your Bible up to your table of contents or you have your Bible app, uh, you'll see in the New Testament, you got an Old Testament, New Testament, we are going to be looking at the sixth book down, the book of Romans. It is a, a letter written by Paul to a church just like this in Rome. And he is addressing the matters of church life and, and life in general. And in chapter 6, a lot of hopeful things that Paul had to say. And I want to set up chapter 7 and the encouragement that it is by starting with a few verses in chapter number 6. Verse 4, listen to Paul says, he says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. He's talking about newness in life. Verse 11, he says, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, he says. All right. Verse number 18. And and he repeats this refrain in verses 18 and, and 22. He says, And having been liberated from sin, and in verse 22, he says, since you have been liberated from sin. I mean, there's just, this this is the hopeful verses that Paul has written about, the encouraging aspect of that in chapter 6. And then he turns to chapter 7. You think he's going to build on this. It's going to get better. And it does. It does. Let me read to you from chapter 7. We'll look at chapter 7 verse by verse here in a moment, but let me just pick a few verses. I'm going to start with verse 15. This is Paul. He says, for I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Hmm. Verse 19. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. And then verse 24. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this dying body. Are you encouraged by that? (laughs) You're thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like encouragement. That that sounds like a flat out battle. How can he go from chapter 6 to chapter 7? And how can I say that's one of the most encouraging chapters in all of the scripture? Here's how I can say that. Is this is Paul. Paul is like the guy. He is arguably the greatest New Testament Christ follower bar none. And we see in Paul this battle. And if it's in his life, it's in our lives. And in a way, that's what makes it so encouraging is the struggle, the battle that we all face, that we all, you're going through it right now. And if you're not, believe me, you will tomorrow. And if you're not going through it today, you were in it yesterday. I mean, this is just part of the human condition. And we we sometimes like to think that, man, I'm really a mess. You thought maybe you're the only one that quietly to yourself said, what a wretched man that I am. But we have Paul saying that. 
And we're going to explore this chapter because I think it is immensely encouraging for the very reason, the very fact that Paul is alluding to and acknowledging that there is a battle within us. And that is normal, my friends. It does not make you an outcast. It does not make me one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look this morning at this battle. We're going to look at both sides of this battle. And we are going to do so in a way that hopefully helps you and and, and raises your courage and my courage to fight this battle because it is worth fighting, okay? So to do that, I think I'm going to start with prayer. Will you join me, please? God, we do open up a chapter that is immensely encouraging. It's not easy. But it is comforting to know that someone such as Paul would lay his soul bare and would acknowledge the, the reality of our human condition. And that is that we battle within. We desire to do the right thing because we love you and we know we've been loved greatly by you. But God, sometimes it is so hard to do it and there's nothing in us that seems to want to push through the challenge and the battle, Lord God. But I pray you'll speak through me. I got nothing to say. You have everything to say. Lord, may you say it to each and every person here and those who are tuned in in a way that would encourage us to fight this battle, Lord God, for your glory. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at the two sides. To to see the two sides, I actually want to look at verse 6 of chapter 7. Paul uh, started chapter 7 and we kind of finished when we, I said we went through chapter 6. We peaked a little bit into chapter 7. And at at the very beginning of chapter 7, there's an analogy. Paul is using a marriage analogy. And he he culminates that marriage analogy in verse 6 and he says, but now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us. He's acknowledging that Jesus, who lived a perfect life and did not deserve to die, did die. And he died a substitutionary death for you and for me. And he did it to pay for sin. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, then in a way we're dying with him. And in the marriage analogy, he says when a wife dies, or excuse me, when a husband dies, a wife is free to remarry. And when we die to the law, die to, to, to sin, we are free to remarry. And we remember, we, we are married to Jesus before we were married to the law, if you will, the God's commands or, or even our own commands, whatever it is, we were trying to live our lives doing the right things in order to gain approval and acceptance and, and favor and all those kinds of things. And, and God says, once that Jesus did that for us perfectly and we put our faith and trust in him in that way, we're no longer bound to that. We're released from it. And it says there that we... But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So there are the two sides that we're going to talk about this morning. There's one side and that is that we're living by the law. And by the law, think Moses and the Ten Commandments. And there actually were more than ten. But God gave Moses and, and the people of God these commandments. And he wanted them to live by these commandments so that the world would see that they were worshiping the one true God. And it would draw attention to God in 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 hopes of of attracting people. And so they they were living by the law. But what happened is it devolved. It devolved into the law became a bar to clear. That if I did enough of the law, if I followed the law and obeyed the law, then I was kind of earning, meriting the approval of man and God and his favor. And so that's, that's the one side of it where, where we depend on our moral performance as we acknowledge and, and live out God's commands. Well, the other side of it is the law of the spirit. 
And that is where we depend entirely on the grace of God. That we realize we cannot keep the law in the way that it was meant to be um, kept. Only Christ did that. And so we, we recognize that God offers us this gift. And that is he offers us Jesus and his perfect life in exchange for our imperfect one. And so we have these two sides. We have the law and we have the spirit. We have living by the law and we have living by the spirit. And this morning we're going to look at both of them because Paul brings them both into play here in explaining this battle that is within us. We're going to start with the law, living by the law. And we're going to look at verses 7 through 13 to do that. And we're going to start with that because that's where some of you are right now. You are living by the law. There is in you this idea, this motivation, this attitude that says, if I do these things right, then, then people will approve of me. They will accept me. They will respect me. But more importantly, God, dare I say, will owe me. God, I'm doing my part. I'm doing what you told me to do. Now you do your part. So there's some of us that are in the room that are like that. There's others, others of us in the room who, who realize, okay, that's, that is not the healthy way to go for all kinds of reasons I'll explain in a moment. And so we've kind of jumped to the side of living by the Spirit. But here's the challenge. It is so easy to hop back and forth. Back and forth. And I'll, I will give you uh, some signs that if you, if you have these uh, characteristics, these, these attributes, if you will, I, I would say these, um, these obstacles in your life, you'll realize that, that, yep, I skip back and forth between the law and the spirit. So with that in mind, let's look at the first side. And that's going to be the side of the law, verses 7 through 13. Paul says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? The reason he's, he's, he's asking this question. Or he's answering this question because earlier he just said, hey, let's serve in the law of the, of the law of the Spirit, not in the old letter of the law. So the question might be, well, does that mean the law is bad? And Paul says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. He says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So, the law, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what good cause my, therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Now, what we've got to understand about this part of the scripture is that Paul is speaking from the past. He's looking back and he's looking at his life. Speaking of what his life was like. And what I want you to notice in verse 9. How oh, that just happen? That's not good. I just. I just lost all my notes if you can believe that. Okay. Pretty please come back. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Ever had that? You want to get away? Like oh great. I, um, I, I, uh, I'm going to have to go home and change after this. But all right. Um, Paul says. He says, once I was alive apart from the law. 
Okay. Paul, what, what does he mean by that? He, he, he's saying that how he saw the law as living by the law, he was kind of living high on the hog because he was the guy. I mean, he knew the law. He was obeying the law externally. I mean, he saw the law as a bar that he needed to clear in order to be accepted and be approved by people and by God. And in everyone's eyes, Paul was the guy. He was that guy. And you might be thinking, you're that guy or you're that girl. You're thinking, I'm a good person. And, and you, you work really hard to obey and to do the right things. And, and, and you kind of feel like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about this. That's exactly where Paul was. Because by all appearances, Paul was killing it. And so he says, I was once alive. His attention was on the external. And everything on the external was working out. And, and he's thinking, I, I, I am in God's favor. I, I, I'm respected for good reason. Now the reality is we do the same exact thing. We, we have in, in, in a way, we, we use the law. We use God's commands and obeying God's commands in a way. It's, it's easy to kind of, because we can kind of manage and control that to get the acceptance of people, to get the acceptance of God. Like I said again, to kind of put God in our debt as if he owes us. Now, how might you know when you're kind of either crossing the line, going from the law of the spirit now, and, or excuse me, from, the, from living by the spirit into living by the law, how do you know when you cross the line, or how do you know if you're on the other side than the one we're talking about now? Well, if you have guilt and shame in your life. If there's something that you feel really guilty about, that you're ashamed about, that you don't tell anybody, you're afraid to tell anybody, that's a law mentality, okay? If there's, if there's fear, wondering, have I done enough? Am I, am I good enough? That's a law mentality. If there's pride, and, and you kind of think to yourself, I, I kind of obey more than other people do. They, 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 they should kind of you know, obey the way I do. Or, or, or if there's a judgmental attitude. If you've ever had a judgmental thought in which you looked at someone and thought, why can't they do it like I do it? Now, I, I, I believe in just that brief thoughts there that I've covered everybody in here. Where we hop over, we see that. Those are signs that you're living by the law. Those are signs that I'm living by the law when we're there or if you're there. But what happens to Paul is he says, once I was there. But then he has this spiritual epiphany. He encounters Jesus. And Jesus says to Paul, what are you doing? Paul was chasing Christians down and he was persecuting. He was trying to rub out Christianity. And isn't it amazing in God's story how he flips Paul and Paul becomes now one of the greatest, if not the greatest, spokesperson, voice, and, and, and Christ follower in all of human history. And so he has this, this spiritual epiphany. And, and he, he sees the law for what it is. And notice how he describes it. Look in verse 10. This is how he describes the spiritual epiphany. He was living the law externally, but now his eyes are open. And he sees the law for the purpose that it was given. It was not merely a bar to try to clear. And he describes that experience in verse 10. He says, I died. It resulted in death in me. In verse 11, he says, it killed me. And in verse 13, he says, it's producing death in me. The law was doing, God's commands were doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And that was to slay Paul. And to slay him into, and, and to just to, to, for him to see his sinfulness. He, he, he used the 10th commandment, do not covet. He's thinking, hey, I'm, I'm not coveting. But then all of a sudden his eyes are open and he says, what is this? He says, man, I'm coveting it in every possible way. 
In verse 13, he realizes, he goes, I'm sinful beyond measure. His eyes are opened up. The law becomes what it was always meant to be. And that is it's to, to expose in us our sinfulness. Not just our sinfulness, but how truly depraved we are and how sinful we are. In a way that he says, it just slayed me. He was convicted of his self-righteousness. I did. He thinks I'm right because I'm obeying the law. He was convicted of a self-satisfaction that I'm a good person and I deserve and, I, and God, you owe me. There we go. <laughs> right on cue. I think we need Cajun here. He's coming, I'm sure. All right. Who knows what's going to happen next? Um, and, and Paul had this self-confidence, right? That he could stand before God and, and that he deserved spiritually, he deserved what he was getting. Bob, you're messing with me now, aren't you? Now, all right, well, um, this is technology at its finest. Okay. I'm going to break dance in a minute. Um, okay. Have I lost you? Okay, okay, all right. The laws, purpose, when I say the law, the commandments of God, okay, they were never there to save us, ever. But, but some of you are living like that. You're, you're living, if I follow this, God's, God's going to owe me. And you're, you're saving yourself. And that's what Paul's doing. And then all of a sudden he has that epiphany. His eyes are open and he realizes, no, the law was never meant to save me. It was ultimately to lead him and us to godly sorrow over the sinfulness in our lives. And then to repentance. And that's just a fancy word for saying, I'm going to change my mind how I see the sin in my life. I'm going to change my mind and how I see my self-righteousness and how I see my self-satisfaction. I'm going to realize I'm broken. I'm irretrievably broken unless there's something outside of myself and outside of anything this world has to offer that can save me. And Paul realizes that. And it comes to understand that. And it's interesting, he uses the 10th commandment, do not covet. Do you know what it means to covet? To covet means to want something that somebody else has because of discontent. And it's, there's a jealous discontent there. It's not, it's not bad to see somebody with a, maybe they have a, a new phone. You're like, hey, I like that phone. I, mean, I think I'm going to get a phone. That, that's not coveting, all right? Coveting is when I'm jealous. I, 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 all of a sudden, I was content with my phone today, but now I'm not content with my phone now. And, and I'm jealous. I want what they want. And, and, and I won't be content unless I have it. And, and Paul was, was thinking that that wasn't me. But then all of a sudden his eyes are open. And he's just thinking of all the things that he wants. Jealously. He wants these things. And there's, all of a sudden there's discontent about everything that God's given him. Can you relate to that? I mean in, in our culture. In our society. The materialistic culture we live in. In which our economy is predicated on the fact that companies create in us a constant angst for the next thing. A discontent about what we have now so we'll buy what they are now selling later. I mean what is it that you covet? Or what have you coveted? Have you coveted someone else's spouse? Have you coveted a different body shape. Have you coveted someone else's car, their house, their job, where they go on? I mean, on social media. I mean, it's just, you're just scrolling, right? And, and, and you're just tempting yourself to covet. I, I want where they are. I want to be there. 
I'm, I'm not happy where I am here. And I won't be happy until I'm there. I, 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 want, I, I want a baby. And, and I won't be happy until I have one. I mean, it, it is so easy to cover. And that's what Paul is saying, is that his eyes became open to that. And, and we need to understand as we, as we take the commandments and, and we just run through them, if we take time, we'll see. They slay us. How about the third commandment? Does anybody know what the third commandment is? It's not to take God's name in vain. Now the obvious is when we, when we curse his name, right? Well, I don't do that. Well, do you, have you ever said, oh my God, and it wasn't a prayer? Have you ever said, Jesus Christ, will you stop doing that? Have you ever said that? Have you ever posted OMG? It's when we call upon the name of God and we're not praying to him. When we call on the name of God and we're not praising him. When we just call on the name of God to call on the name of God. We're taking his name in vain and he doesn't like that. He is to be revered. He's to be respected. We don't just throw his name around. But we do. And we need to be mindful of that. Because the law wants to point out in us that we sin which means we consequently, we need a savior. And Paul, his eyes became open to that. And my hope and prayer is those of you here, those of you tuning in line whose eyes have never been open, that, that your eyes will become open to that side of the battle. Now, let's look at the other side. The other side of the battle is not Paul's past, it's where he is presently. It's, it's what I read just a little while ago, which really helps us to be encouraged and we can relate to him. What, let's look at chapter 7, verse 14. Follow along with me. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it. But it's the sin that lives in me. So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. What does it say there? Waging war. And that's what it is. It is a war. It is a battle. Against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this dying body. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself am a slave to the law of God. But with my flesh to the law of sin. Now Paul is speaking. He switched tenses. Do you notice he's not speaking in the past tense. He's speaking presently. This is how things are right now. And I want you, did you hear in his description the fact that he is now, as he, as he says in verse 6, he's living the new way of the Spirit. And, and, and how do we see that? Well, in verse 15 he says, I do not practice what I want to do. In other words, his desires have changed. He realizes it too. He feels the tension. Secondly, in verses 17 and 20 he says, so I am no longer the one doing it. Paul recognizes I'm this new person. 
And this new person does not want to do that, but I'm in battle with the old person, the old sin nature that I, that I came out of. And then in verse 18, he says, for the desire to do what is good is with me. But you heard as I read, I trust that you did, that living by the Spirit, there is frustration. There's a frustration about that. Because we desire and we want, and in times we do, but in other times we don't. And in other times we actually see what we're not supposed to do and we crave that and we want that and we go after that. We're like, how am I doing this? How is this happening? My friends, you are simply in what it means to be a battle. On this side of Jesus' return, we are in this battle. We should expect it. You see, Paul was struggling to see in his life the reality that he now, that sin had been defeated in his life. The Bible tells us that sin has been defeated when we put our faith and trust in Christ and his work. The power of sin is gone. And we we can testify to that. There are things that we're able to do that we weren't before, but then there's also the old self. Paul refers to the old self as sin living in me. And it's in constant battle with the new Paul, the I'm no longer the one doing it. And can you relate to that, those of you that are followers, can you relate to that tension, to that battle between you know you're new, you're a new person. And yet it's so easily to be drawn to the old way, to the old habits, to the old coping mechanisms, to the old places, the old people, the old websites. The, the, The battle's real, the challenge is real. But notice I want to call it good. It's a good frustration. How can you have good frustration? Because what it tells you when you are in that battle, it tells you that you are a new person. It didn't bother you before, and now it does. And that is, so every moment when you're in that frustration and and, and you're feeling that tension and you want to get really angry or, or you want to say, what a wretched man I am. Change it. What a new person I am. You're new. And, and, and you, you know, the war's been won for you, but the battle will be every day. You see, our adversary, Satan, wants to defeat us daily so that we're not drawing people like God originally when he gave the commandments to the people of God to draw people in. He, he does not want us to be effective, to be influencers in that way. But you are a new person And for that reason, the frustration is good. But now, that being said, we should expect as we grow spiritually, we should expect the frustration of some things to kind of lessen and become easier. But there's going to be some things that will probably be lifelong. And and it's Paul called it the thorn in his side. He, He prayed three times. He said, God, take this from me. We don't know exactly what it was. But Jesus' answer to Paul was, In your weakness, my perfection is manifest. My power is manifest, okay? And so when we're struggling, we're we're, we're going to God. It keeps us humble, which is a very healthy uh, place to be. This frustration keeps us in, in a very humble moment. And what we have to remember, we have to really focus in on is that as much as we want perfection, that's not this side of eternity. We, we need to look for progress. That's what really matters. It's just, it's just progress. It's taking steps forward because there's, the lifelong battles are going to be there. We just will not get away from that. Paul is giving us um, permission 
to embrace that and to deal with that. And with all the frustration Paul's having, right? He asks and answers this question, who's gonna rescue me? And he answers it and he says, Jesus. Jesus for the win. That, that's, that's where you'll find, that's where I'll find what we need to, to battle and to fight is to realize that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, that we're that valuable to him. Our value isn't in what we do. It isn't what people think about us. It's in the price that God paid for us. And, and that reality is to stick in our minds. We're, we're to, we're to res, let that resonate in our minds and in our thinking Realizing that Jesus for the win changes us. That the work that Jesus did, Paul was putting his faith and trust in that. It means that he's going to come out on top. And he's, and he's thinking about progress. He's not thinking about perfection. And when he's living by the Spirit, which chapter 8 is all about that. When we get to chapter 8, which will be next Sunday, we'll start chapter 8. We're going to break that one up. It is all about what does it mean to live by the Spirit? Well, we're going to get very specific about that. Thankfully, Paul was as well. But here's the hope we have. Perfection, my friends, is going to come. It's going to come. It's coming when Jesus returns, okay? But until then, we need to expect the battle. And we need to fight the battle. And we fight the battle by living by the Spirit. And the way I want us to think about that in closing, and I can't remember who gave this analogy. I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis or somebody else, but I, I love the analogy. I want you to think uh, for, for this week's action, I want you to think about the battle that you face is like a dog fight. And you and I both, we, we have inside of us two dogs. We got a good dog and we got a bad dog, okay? Picture whatever that looks like in your head, but you have a good dog and you have a bad dog. And here's the secret to the victory, the dog you feed will win. So you got to feed one dog and you got to starve another. Or the other, I should say, right? So in our battle, in our fight in this battle, to live by the Spirit, we've got to feed the good dog. We have to feed and live by the Spirit. And there's many ways we can talk about that, right? Reading your Bible, praying, those, kinds, those are important. But I want you to focus on this worship. I want you to think about worship. And I don't just mean corporately. I mean, this is good. This is, we worship, when we worship is we praise God for who he is and we thank him for what he's done. And if we're regularly doing that, now we can't meet every morning during the week, right? Some of you, we gotta, we gotta go to work. But you can still worship. You can still worship. And, and do it how it works best for you. Maybe for you, worshiping is walking around your neighborhood with your earbuds in listening to, to praise music or worship music and you're just, you're just seeing God's creation and you're talking to him about whatever comes to mind. You're giving him your burdens, you're sharing your struggles and your frustrations, you're telling him about the battle. But you're praising him for who he is and you're thanking him for what he's done and you're doing that regularly. For me, I, I go to quiet places. I'll go in my car uh, in the garage. Uh, I'll, I'll go in the shower where I, I can't be disturbed and I'll just listen to praise and worship music and I, I just will, I'll just stay there and, and, and I'll just, I won't think about anything else. That, that, that for me, when I was a Christ follower, the, the, the biggest change that I can think of, I mean I voraciously attack the scripture because I'm just I'm, I'm analytical to a degree and I like to learn. But, but the thought of singing and worshiping, I thought, eh, that's for people who just like to do that. I, I just want to, and I would kind of show up right about the time the message started. And I got convicted 
in one of those messages that said, Kevin, why don't you stop coming to church for you? Why don't you knock that off? You're never going to grow like that. Why, why don't you come and express to God through the lousy voice he gave you? Thank him and praise him. Man, that changed my life dramatically. I mean, I was, I listened to the ACDC, the Rush, that, that kind of Def Leppard, that kind of stuff. They said, why don't you start listening to Christian music? I'm like, I, I can't do that. But I started doing that. And, and I mean, that, I kind of leapt in my spiritual growth in that way. Worship was just, for me, surprisingly, that powerful. I, I would challenge you, feed the dog this week by worship, whatever that means to you now. Which means, conversely, we need to starve the bad dog inside of us, all right? I mean, choke him out, okay? Now, I know it kind of sounds really kind of mean, right? Um, but here's how I want you to starve the dog, the bad dog that's inside you. Certainly, it stopped living by the law, but how do we do that? I want you to do what Paul did. Paul went back to the Ten Commandments, Right, which were the summary commandments of the 613 that God gave the nation of Israel. All right? I want you to go back to the Ten Commandments and I want you to confess through them. Kind of like I just briefly, we looked at commandment three, we looked at commandment ten. Go through them. Commandment number one, we're to have one God and worship him and him only. And then think about the things in your life that get more attention, more space in your head, more of your affections and desires, more of your words and wonder, is that my God? And, and just let that sink in that, yeah, more likely that is your God or, or sometimes it's your God. And just let, let, let that slay you. And just go through the commands. When it says do not murder, Jesus said, he meant don't hate. And when he said don't commit adultery, he said don't lust. And the idea is that when you go to the commands, you're just driven to your knees and, and, and your sinfulness is just right there because that humbles you. It humbles me. It leads to repentance. And it realizes that we can never, nor were we ever designed or nor was a law given to us that we ever thought we could merit and earn by our good behavior and our moral performance anything. That we are helpless and we need a savior. My friends, that is the safest place you can be. That is why this, this chapter is so encouraging. Because here's Paul that way, doing that. We could all aspire to have the, the relationship with God that Paul had and what he endured on behalf of that. And here he is in his, in his battle that we face just like he does. So that is my challenge for you this week. It's my challenge for for me this week that we might be greatly encouraged by this chapter and the next week we'll roll into chapter 8 and we're going to look at the Holy Spirit because that's when God I mean that's when Paul just dumps that on it man this is an amazing part of what it means to be in relationship with God okay let me pray Father I thank you so much for the blessing of your word the preservation of it and I pray Lord God that how it's been taught today that it will find its way into the hearts into the heads of all who are here those who are tuned in and God, may we not just listen to it and walk away to never reflect on it. God, I, I pray that it will haunt us in a way that it'll stick with us for the most encouraging or one of the most encouraging chapters in all of Scripture you've given us so that we, Lord God, could be encouraged and strengthened. And I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take just a moment quietly for you and God. Let's just, let's do some work here, okay? 
And just in your seats, or if you want to come down front just to pray and get away from your seat, by all means do that. But let's just take some time quietly. God is present. He's here. And just ask him, God, what, what do you want me to do? How do I respond? Maybe you've already started doing that. But let's just take some time quietly to ourselves and let the Spirit of God work in our hearts. <laughs>